Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Other horn is Everything that we do every day, we want to be a champion. Get your mind right and let's go. Do the little things. Win every day. It's a surplus they play so far. Everything with an attitude. Alabama. Yes. I don't give a shit who we're playing. Young men play against and make his ass quit. That's our framework. That's our MO with the team. Richardson breaks free on the sideline. End zone. This is a mauling, folks. A mauling. Fear the tide, honey badger. I- Hello and welcome to a championship edition of the Alabama Football Podcast. Yes, there are topics to be discussed. Landon's injury sucks. Giving up 46 to, to Florida rankles more than just a little bit. And we'll discuss each of that in turn. But let's take a minute and not overlook or discount the accomplishments that Alabama has achieved to date. Uh, there's certainly a lot to like uh, with this 2020 season. Alabama is 11-0 with 11 SEC wins. Folks, that is a forever record. That doesn't get broken. Alabama is once again SEC champs. And so you think 2021, a lot of things have been different and unusual and unconventional, not just in football, but across the landscape. Wow. Rolling into December with Alabama as SEC champs just feels right, doesn't it? Feels normal. Uh, Alabama, again, remains the standard for all things college football in probably the most challenging football season ever. I don't have the all 22 from the 1890s. I know there was a stretch there where Harvard and and Yale played one game seasons and probably the travel with the horse and buggies was a pain in the rear. But uh, I don't know. I think 2020 uh, with the daily testing and the uncertainty, the week to week uncertainty, uh, the all conference schedule, I think that probably rates uh, just uh, just a, a smidge above in terms of challenging seasons. Alabama's back in the playoffs with a number one season. And this is a year, folks, when Alabama was done. Remember back in the spring when Cochran left, there were many so-called experts that said, this is it. Alabama's done. They can't recover from losing their strength and conditioning coach. How funny that sounds, especially in retrospect. This is a season when Alabama was done. The experts, they they declared it. They declared it. Alabama is done when Jalen Waddell goes down. And I don't want to diminish his loss or certainly his talent, but that doesn't look like uh, Alabama's done. It looks like the body still has a uh, has a pulse, and uh, it's beating quite str- uh, strongly, if you will. So, you know, as a fan base, we like our coach, and uh, we mostly like our coaching staff. So, again, things that, things to like, things to embrace. You know, sure, there's a thing with Pete Golding. I get it. But D.C. Love, defensive coordinator Love, is something that – well, it cuts both ways. Um, you know, you could say at least we didn't, you know, we don't like Pete Golding. Maybe we don't like our defensive coordinator, but at least we didn't oust our head coach only to find out that the fan base is only in like, not in love with our defensive coordinator. So, you know, there is that as an alternative uh, solution path. Not that anyone would actually ever be foolish enough to, to do that. So, yes, we're still going to do what we do on the podcast, but not before pausing and having a serenity now moment. A little woo-saw, deep cleansing breath, maybe a smoothing. There you go. Let's not be mad because we're Alabama fans, while almost everyone else is mad because they're not. Permission to enjoy granted. All right. Now, let's transition into the offense, and let's talk about this game. Again, I still think there's a lot to like and there's a lot to dislike in this game. Alabama scored 52. Let's like that. Florida scored 46. 
Let's not like that, but let's just see, let's seek to understand it a little bit. Not that I'm an expert. I just play one on a podcast, but I have some, I have some ideas for, um, you know, for the defense topic as well. So let's jump into the offense. We've got four, five, six points here, kind of like we do. I'm not going to give you a big stat package necessarily like, uh, like I will sometimes. And then I look at my notes and it's full of stats. You know, hats off, tip of the cap to the big three on offense. You know, Mac Jones over 400, uh, 400 yards, five touchdowns. Najee over 245 total yards, five touchdowns. Smitty, 15 catches, 184 yards, two touchdowns. I think he's your Heisman winner, by the way. The big three for this offense is phenomenal. And what they're able to do, the conflict, the contrast that they're able to have with opposing defenses is just is outstanding. And it puts Alabama on pace, averaging right at 50 points uh, per game for the season. Uh, I saw the stat going into the game. Alabama was averaging 49 and a half points. And in this game scores 52. So all that does is nestle the average that much closer to 50. I was hoping <laughs> that we'd score 56 points so that uh, it would come out just perfect, but uh, but it didn't. Uh, nonetheless, outstanding offensive uh, performance. Uh, 600 in total. Uh, I'm doing a stat package and I said that I wouldn't. 605 total yards. I'm just in all of these numbers. Almost just let the numbers wash over you because there's so much goodness sort of layered in. 34 minutes time of possession, 33 first downs. The the big the production across the big three and the production as a whole on offense is almost beyond expectation especially in the context of this being an SEC championship game. I know it's Florida. I know it's their defense and all of that. But, I mean, folks, to put these kind of credentials, these kinds of stats up against roast beef tech is an impressive Saturday morning. To put these up in prime time against the SEC East Conference uh, champion in the SEC title game is it's almost beyond amazing. It's almost beyond what we should ever expect uh, as Alabama fans. And I think we're entitled to have some pretty lofty expectations. But what we saw on Saturday from an offensive uh, standpoint was was absolutely phenomenal. Uh, a couple other points that uh, we'll step through. Mechie, I think, had just the play of the year with his tackle on Terry Dean. Mechie had a pretty good day just across the board. He had four catches for 62. But uh, I think uh, I think I, I read somewhere where he knocked the taste out of that kid's mouth, and and uh, that sounds about right. Uh, he looked like he was unconscious as he was still trying to run and, and going down. He caught him almost like a hockey check, which, I, again, I saw someone else comment how perfect that, that Mechie's from Canada because that, that looks like sort of cross ice, whatever terminology they would use in hockey. I do not have a hockey podcast, so I do not know. But definitely looked like like he almost came under the arm, like a, a soft spot in in like the rib cage or something. And that ball goes flying, uh, knock uh, knock the ball out. Uh, Smitty was able to to recover that, and uh, actually scored a touchdown on the next play. I do hate that. I'm gonna wrap this back around to uh, talk about Smitty. I'm back to Mac as well. I do hate that that registered as an interception because it did look uh, it looked to me live on TV, and I've seen other people comment as well. Hey, that sort of validates what I think I saw, that it looked more like a reception and then a strip. And so I hate that probably fumbles, not the right word, but a, a strip. And I hate that that was sort of catalog, cataloged as an interception. But, you know, it is, is what it is. Uh, as the play unfolded, uh, it was an oh yes, an oh no, an oh yes. And uh, what's interesting is we were going for the for the first down there, and at the end of the at the end of the play, my ten year old daughter was asking what just happened, and and just in, in cutting to the chase, Daddy, Daddy said Alabama got the first down we wanted, and uh, it was funny how it happened. This is not exactly how you had scripted up, uh, but then indeed that's exactly what happened. Uh, uh, Jaleel Billingsley, I continue to be uh, impressed uh, with this individual head uh, with this player. Uh, just the athleticism that he brings to uh, the tight end position, I think, is phenomenal. Uh, I probably have more on the negative side of the ledger to say about Jalil today than than I typically do, but I want to cushion every bit of that with uh, what I what I so like uh, about him. I would say one of my knocks is that uh, he had two catches for 29 yards. Uh, one of those catches 
in the midst of being uh, interfered with. And so it was a pass interference flag, but uh, he continued uh, sort of to, to catch the ball. Uh, two catches for 29 yards. Definitely could have been used more in the passing game. Uh, but then you figure there were so many yards, so much production. Uh, where do you find the extra plays? But there's always an opportunity to, to work in another route with Jaleel Billingsley because his athleticism is, is just incredible. Now, as soon as I say that, he's not built for end arounds. He is not built for end arounds. Uh, so let's not run, even though he's an athletic tight end. Maybe we could do some stuff with him running the ball and creative because I've seen creative plays. Other teams do that. Uh, but just a, an almost like a jet sweep with the tight end. Nope, 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 don't buy that. We'll talk more about Bellinzo later. Folks, that's called foreshadowing. Uh, Xavier Williams had a catch, and uh, I'd have to go back and look. I don't know that he's had a lot of playing time on the season as a whole. I don't know that he's had another catch this season. Maybe he has. The fact that I don't remember means that it certainly hasn't been many. And the most interesting thing with me was not – Xavier catching the the ball so much, but that he was in ahead of Javon Baker, number five. And watching on TV is different than watching it live. We've talked about that before. I don't know that I saw number five Javon play, but it, it, Xavier number three did play. And so sometimes the numbers can look, uh, you know, very close from from a distance, not in the stands with your binoculars uh, or a camera sort of zoom in. But it was clearly Xavier Williams who caught the caught the pass. What we've been seeing is games where Javon Baker plays a whole lot. We've given him the mini game ball for playing forty or fifty snaps, running routes, blocking, and not even getting uh, not even getting a target. And so it's interesting to see uh, Xavier play ahead of what appeared to be ahead of Javon. I wonder if uh, I, I I do wonder this. I love Coach Saban. Not knocking Coach Saban, he will play a tighter bench in in sort of key critical games. Basketball coaches do all this all the time. That's the origin of the phrasing, right? A, a shorter bench. And I wonder if Saban went to sort of the third year player over the first year player in this type of contest and this type of. Uh, atmosphere. I don't know that to be true. It's a speculation. I see Xavier make a catch and it just, those questions sort of spring in my mind. I don't have answers for it, but it's definitely something we should watch. What happens in the up to uh, the two upcoming games? Uh, do we see more X instead of uh, Javon? Um, and I don't want to project too far out into the, uh, the postseason or spring, what happens, uh, player decisions, but it's, it's, you know, it's one of those things, Arsenio Hall, it just makes you go, hmm. And so I see that and it makes me go, hmm. Miller Forrestal absolutely needs to be a fan favorite. If you do not consciously realize that, hey, Miller Forrestal is one of my favorites on this team, then pause and assess that. The injuries, he has twice been carted off the field. Well, once carted off the field, the other walked off the field. He's gone to the locker room twice with injury during this season. Uh, he's missed games with injury, but he comes back and continues to play and continue uh, continues uh, to contribute. Uh, he had a couple of catches in this game, a couple of targets in this game, and it was very clear. Even the commentators made note that uh, it was very clear that he has no wheels. I mean, he's got the hands, he can make a play, but he can't do anything with the ball. He's just he's just so sort of laden with uh, with injury. But you know what's phenomenal? That he play, he got a quarterback sneak in. Uh, it was an incredible play design. It looked like, why are we in a shotgun in a short yardage situation? And and Max turning uh, as if he's getting instruction from, from the sideline. And Miller is doing kind of what we typically do with the motions. And so it's not unusual to see him in motion. Nothing about that struck me. Even when he stopped behind the guard and spun and came back around, none of that looked unusual. It looked very, very normal. And then when he stepped under center, it was like, wait, it's slow motion. You come to consciousness of what's happening. And he takes the quarterback sneak there. And so I think that's phenomenal. Uh, Miller is from the Atlanta area. Uh, he was a high school quarterback before he got beat out uh, by uh, Sunshine uh, over at Clemson and Trevor Lawrence, and that's when he moved uh, originally to tight end. And so there's there's almost a symmetry, planned or unplanned, but uh, incredible uh, opportunity for him to actually get a snap at quarterback in the SEC championship game. That's probably a cool thing. He'll tell his grandkids about that. And so sort of all of that sort of balls together. 
that we need to recognize him uh, as a, as a fan favorite. And and I've mentioned this before. Oh, I really hope Miller Forsall comes back uh, next year with the whole COVID thing and this season not not counting eligibility wise. I so hope that Miller Forsall comes back. If we could hand choose the players that we would want to come back. And we injected realism into that. Players that are going to go in the first round of the draft or second round of the draft, okay, they're not coming back. You know, we can't say Devonta. Well, I mean, come on. Uh, but if we if we if we layered in realism and we started to project who are the players that we would most want to come back, would most have value to the team. Miller Forstall wouldn't be at the top of many people's lists, although he should be. His contribution, even the coaching staff talks about him being a glue guy and and sort of a, a grease that helps the offense run because of his sort of mastery of it and his versatility within it. And even though we're not a tight end offense, what he can do uh, is I, I think is phenomenal. And an opportunity to have him back, we don't have another guy like him uh, on the roster. We would miss him. Something would be off, and we wouldn't know what it was. And it and it very well could be missing a player like Miller. And so uh, he would be a player that I would rank uh, very high. That's in that realistic category uh, to come back. And for all the the praise on Miller, uh, we're talking about Billingsley a minute ago. Uh, I want to go back and and just reference Billingsley. Man, was he laying some blocks. Uh, he's going to get a lot more playing time in this offense, and he already has, but he is really showing himself uh, as a blocker, especially in the running game, uh, especially almost as a lead blocker. And I think maybe some of that lead is what sort of gave some misdirection on him running an end around. I get the idea. I get the theory of it. I, I think we need to be more – I think we need to reevaluate that wrinkle. I'll, I'll say that. Offensive line. I think as a on, on a whole, uh, I think the offensive line had a phenomenal night. Uh, it's easy to look at the two sacks that they gave up, but when you drop back to pass as many times as Alabama did, uh, they're going to be back there uh, coming to get you, waiting on you a couple of times, and 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 they certainly did. Uh, I think as a whole, the offensive line, again, played very, very well. Uh, the fact that they were announced as um, one of the three candidates for the, the Joe Moore Award, you know, outstanding offensive line, uh, that's, that's such a teaser. Well, of course, is that a headline? Is that breaking news? I, we talk about that sometimes. What constitutes breaking news? Alabama being one of the finalists for that, to me, is not breaking news. It'll only be affirmation when when they win it. Uh, Landon Dickerson going down, that hurt. Uh, that, that hurt. I really like the individual. I'm old enough to call him a kid. I really like uh, the kid. I like his play. I like his physicality. I think he's better suited for a guard. I've long said said that, but if he's not one of the best centers that we've had uh, during Saban's era, then you know there's an opportunity to to have that conversation as well. Uh, he's a leader. The fact that uh, the TV, uh, the, the cameras didn't catch it, but the commentators, uh, someone on the one of their spotters, that when he went, when Landon was was injured, that Alex Leatherwood sort of broke out in tears. I don't know if that's true. But Leatherwood's sort of a, a hard dude, and for him to be sort of moved in that way, that speaks to their relationship. That speaks to the respect uh, and the appreciation and the sense of loss that my brother-in-arms here is not going to be able to go with us the rest of the way. His value and then and then just wanting Landon to have that experience, there's a lot that, that went into that. And then as they were carting him off, all of the team, the team running out there to you know embrace him or high-five him or are just an expression of appreciation. That is just, that's a, that is a phenomenal moment. And it speaks just volumes to uh, Landon and who he is and his character and what he means to the, uh, to the team, not just the play, not just on the field, but off the field too. You can be a great guy and sort of be a jerk and not get that sort of love and appreciation from your teammates. And so again, Land is a guy that we need to recognize and it's easy to forget or overlook some of the guys that aren't the headliners. We talk about the big three on offense. Landon's not one of them, but he's one of these guys that we need to remember as sort of an all-timer because he is, and it really sucks that he went down with injury and uh, will not be able to play through the the remainder of the the season, hopefully two more games, two more wins. Uh, So what does that mean? So I'll I'll tell you what I think it means, but here's the reality of it. 
I'm expressing an opinion that may or may not be right. You best believe at this point of the season, the coaches absolutely know what's going to happen. Now we're outside of those circles. We're outside of that sort of that, not only the conversations, but all the practices. And so we don't know what's going to happen. We can speculate and probably come pretty darn close, but the coaches know. And so when I, when I say it could be this or it could be that, don't confuse that with the coaches not having a plan. That's just from my living room, what I think may or may not happen. And so what that means is take this with a grain of salt, watch practice reports, watch practice reports, watch any commentary that comes from the coaches that speak directly to practice reports. They might try a couple things, but they kind of know what they're going to do. And anything that comes out of those practice reports uh, is, is, you know, is going to be sort of the golden, not the peak golden, but the golden rule uh, here. So it's going to be one of three players. It's going to be either Chris Owens, who stepped in Saturday, or Darian Dalcourt, uh, who many think or many project as sort of the future at the center position. I think I put myself in that category. Or Emil Echior, who was competing for the center spot as well, but he landed at right guard and has been uh, the, the season starter at right guard. And the question there, you know, part of the question is at what – What's the disruption factor? We have one position that's disrupted, right? Because uh, because Landon can't go, and so we need someone to step into that position. Do we disrupt only one position? And again, it's all in the interest of getting your best five out there, so the line can play the best. And so disruptions can be a step forward, it can be a step backwards in 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 route to stepping forward. The trick is, it's not August. And where you can take a couple of steps back because you have a runway to take the steps forward. We have two games left, only within just the next couple of weeks. And so how many steps back can we take and, and still expect to be able to take those steps forward, which is critical. That's critical in this type of, you know, sort of time frame. And so uh, we have one disruptive position because land is down. Potentially, we disrupt, you know, two positions. If, uh, for example, if Emil Echior, uh is is the candidate then we disrupt the right guard position we need someone to play the right guard position and then uh and then there's the potential for the disruption sort of at a, at a, at a third position uh chris owens is he's our sixth lineman and so and and he, he's the sixth lineman at, i think at all positions uh he's he's the next the next next guy up and so he stepped in and played tackle very very well uh for evan uh, a couple of weeks ago he stepped in for uh for Landon and for my money didn't play as well. And so we could practice, you know, you could sort of dust that off. But I think, I think that's, that's sort of the the factor there. I think it's Chris, Chris Owens because of these, these reasons, but, and, and then you don't preserve him just so he can be the backup tackle if there's a need for a backup tackle, but you have to think about that. Who then is the backup tackle? If we're going to, if Chris Owens is going to be the center of the rest of the way, those are the types of types of things you have to have to think about. And like I said, if you move, uh, Echior over to center, then who's going to be that guard? And Chris Owens would be in the running for that. And then so you would have two positions and then, you know, who's your sixth lineman in that situation. So there's more, there's a lot of questions. There's a lot, a lot of nuance. It'll be kind of interesting to see how it plays out. I do think the simplest straight line answer is Chris Owens and then in him having more time. Uh, he started multiple games at, at center uh, in the 2019 uh, season before uh, Deontay Brown came back from injury and that allowed uh, Landon to move uh, from guard to center. So I think it probably is Chris Owens. I just think there's some, there's some nuance there and, uh, and we just need to watch the practice reports to see how that plays out. All right. So wrapping up offense, there's a lot more there than I, on, on sort of the, the line play or the line rotation than, than I intended anticipated, but nonetheless, good conversation. Uh, Mini game ball for uh, offense. It's, you know, for reasons already discussed, it's Miller Forrestall. Find, find place, find room in your favorite players on this, on this team. Uh, maybe it's an honorable mention list or a third team favorite for this, for this squad or whatever, but find, find room uh, to, to tip the cap to uh, Miller Forrestall because uh, he's, he's a guy that deserves it. And uh, we absolutely do hope uh, and wish that uh, he would come back for uh, the 2021 season. And we have time to sort of sort that out. Hey, you all know I'm a serious Tide fan, but I'm also a whiskey guy. You know I like my brown waters. 
Apparently, Facebook does too, and we're all better for it. Recently, up popped an ad for Legends Drinkware glasses, and it was easily the coolest thing I'd seen in a while. But wow, now that I have these in my hands, I'm blown away. You know our Crimson Tide is rooted in tradition, class, and style. Somehow, the crew at Legends Drinkware distilled each of these elements into their glasses. No detail is overlooked. Lead-free, crystal glass, hand-blown in America. Even the packaging is top shelf. And the gym-like logo, well, it calls out to you. Roll Tide with every sip. All right, let's flip the field and talk defense. And um, there's probably not an easy way to, to have this conversation. And uh, I'll say things during this this portion of the program that uh, uh, you'll agree with. And I'll say some things during uh, this portion of the show that you won't. And, and that's okay because it's an exchange of ideas and there's plenty of forums for you to offer your, your feedback and the Zoom calls and the emails and and uh, in the Twitter machine to uh, to sort of engage in some back and forth, and and I and I relish that. I welcome that. When we think about defense, I think there's four categories or four sort of topical areas that I'm going to use that I'm going to explain that for me sort of set the stage of what this defense is. To me, these four categories sort of work together to describe or define the defense. I'm not going to go art major on you, but uh, if if the Alabama defense in 2020 were a were a uh, a painting, it would be a mosaic. It's not a classical piece of art um, that we hope for, that we want a traditional Alabama defense. We want that, but it's not an abstract either, right? That no one likes, no one wants, and. Is frustrating even to look at, and we hate it. Um, it's not that either. It's not a classic. It's not an abstract. It's something in the middle. And I think you know, again, not an art, art, you know, history major here, but I think mosaic sort of lands. Uh, I think sort of lands in that category, and that's what I think this defense is. Depending upon what you're looking at it, when you're looking at it through what lens you're looking at it, you can have multiple perspectives. You can have multiple opinions. But when you step back and you allow yourself to step back and look at it as a whole, there are things that you may have a better appreciation for. You may not like the picture. You may not like it, but you understand, oh, that's what this is because I'm seeing it sort of with a a greater relief, uh, if you will. And so I'm going to step through, I think, four topics or four categories that for me help paint the fullness of an image of, of this defense. And we can call this sour grapes. We can call this me being an idiot. Uh, we can call this a lot of different things. And again, let's have that. Let's have all of those conversations. Uh, I'm not trying to put lipstick on a 46 point pig. Uh, I just, I just think I don't want to, I'm not throwing this baby out with the bathwater either. Uh, and so I think there's, there's fairness on both sides of, of that aisle. So let's step through here are sort of the four categories or four uh, points, mosaic points that, that I would have for the, this Alabama defense. And I'm going to focus through the lens of this game, uh, of course, because that's only fair. So matchups, you know, there's an old sort of adage in boxing that say styles make fights. Uh, think about, you know, boxers never want to fight, you know, a left-handed boxer. They dislike fighting left-handed boxers because everything's backwards. You know, the, the power punches that, you, that you're looking for are literally coming from, you know, the, uh, the other side of the individual, right-handed versus left-handed. Think about left-handed quarterbacks, then the whole left tackle thing is sort of backwards. They may run their routes uh, a, little, uh, a little different. The direction that the quarterback's going to roll out, you know, might be, might be different. I'm not mad at left-handers, but it's sort of an expression, right? You're going to take something away from your, your, uh, your opponent and make them sort of play uh, left-handed. And so all of that sort of, in my mind, goes into the category of matchups and styles, you know, make fights. Think about Alabama when they play a team like, you know, Georgia Southern, right? There's a style that they play, and they tinhorned us, right? Think about aerial attacks. They're very, very similar in that they, they're going to make you do things differently. They're going to make you defend them differently, which might not always be playing to your defensive strength. And so they're going to create matchups. They're going to create uh, opportunities for themselves. You multiply that times two or three or eight when you attack that way, but with the talent that Florida has. 
if you question whether or not they have talent on offense, let's check back in May uh, when the NFL draft rolls around because I think they've got uh, a couple of uh, I think they've got you know two three offensive players that are going to go in the first uh, in the first couple of rounds. Uh, the Kadarius kid is phenomenal. We all know Kyle Pitts, uh, and I think Kyle Trask uh, is going to get some some look. Uh, I like the Grimes kid too. Uh, I'm I'm of the of the mind when you have uh, one very talented receiver, he can elevate the rest of uh, the rest of the talent. When you have two excellent wide receivers, it's more than just a one plus one. It's almost a uh, it's 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 not a one plus one equals two. It's a one plus one equals three because maybe they both draw double uh, double coverage, and that makes your third fourth receiver that much more effective. And so Florida does that very, very well. When you've got the the pits and the and the Kadarius, you know that makes a, a Grimes that much better. Is he a number three receiver? I mean, yeah, I think he is. With those, with the one and two that are both ones, then that almost pulls Grimes up to a three or to a two because he's going to get more opportunities. He's going to get better looks. He's going to be matched up against maybe a lesser talented defensive back, and and so that creates. Uh, just incredible matchup problems. Think about as you as you attempt to disagree with me. Think about what Alabama does. You've heard the expression. We use the expression individually on the podcast, the coaching staff, in the media. You can't cover them all because there's so many of them, and so that creates matchup problems. Well. The other team's on scholarship too, and they have a quarterback that's going to finish in the top of the Heisman voting and and their their receiver talent. I mean, I'm partial to Smitty and Najee and Mechie, but Kadarius and, and Pitts and Grimes are almost every bit as good, and their quarterback is almost every bit as good. And so the, everything that Alabama does to create matchup problems with our opponents – Florida is able to do that too. It's not that they just they try to do it because everyone tries to do it, but they're able to do it. You know, take a, a, a Texas A&M in terms of offensive talent, their receiver, their running back, and their tight end. They're as talented as anyone. They have a quarterback that can't pull the trigger. Florida has the talent at those positions, maybe not running back, but the extra receivers, and they have a quarterback that can pull the trigger. Alabama has the talent at the skill positions and a quarterback that can pull the trigger. And so this is a styles make fights. This is a matchup situation. And this is where Florida, this assisted, it's not the answer. Like I said, four points, but this is one of the points uh, that allowed Florida to have some success. Uh, Again, it's something that Alabama does. Um, you know, if you want me to be flippant, I'll, I'll say this is something that the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, they do every week as well. They create matchup problems. And, you know, by the way, they're playing NFL defenses every week um, or at least most weeks. Right. And so I, I, I think there's there's materiality to let's give the let's give the opponent some respect, their ability to create matchup problems, which can put the Alabama defense in a bind. Oh, we hate that being true, don't we? I do. Uh, we hate that being true. but it is true and uh we can get better we can improve we can work on it but it's true and you know tip of the cap to florida in that regard mistakes so this is my point two mistakes that the alabama defense is not blameless in this this is not throw up your hands it's a matchup problem it's the modern day game it's all of these things and so that excuses everything i'm not saying that at all alabama made some mistakes some were quite costly Josh Jobs offsides took a turnover off the board uh, and turned it into a touchdown. That may have ended the game. That may have created, especially if Alabama, I mean, you know, Florida got the seven. If Alabama were able to have dry, uh, driven the field and put three up, maybe a field goal, then that's a 10 point swing, you know, kind of on the back of, of that one play. And it, it's diabolical how how it happened. There, it's a it's near the goal line. It's a tight situation. You can look down. You can see the ball clearly. He was across the line of scrimmage. He reached out and put his hands on the wide receiver as if he were starting his coverage before the the snap of the ball. You can't do that, <laughs> and Josh knows that. And so it was almost diabolical how that happened. There were other mistakes. Job got beat on on a pass. Uh, Malachi got beat. Uh, Sertan got beat on a ball that it looked like he potentially was going to intercept. He was in such perfect phase 
I don't know if he lost a lost the ball in the lights, thought it was going to be overthrown, but uh, he ended up, uh, you know, getting beat and and giving up uh, a touchdown. Branch was covering uh, Kyle Trask at one point, and I think he just jumped a little early, or or he would have batted a ball down, maybe maybe even picked it off. So there were mis- multiple mistakes. Dylan Moses, we say a lot of talk about Dylan Moses, but Dylan Moses uh, forced a fumble, and a and a host of Alabama defenders was no one was able to come up with a ball. The Florida, and I believe it was Kadarius. Uh, Florida came up uh, with that ball, and and they were outnumbered, you know, five to one in uh in that scrum and so those are types of mistakes uh give me a couple of those back and 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 i think it's a different game give me one of them back and i'm going to take the job off sides because that takes definitely a seven off the board and uh and it gives alabama possession uh especially at a time where alabama was moving the ball uh really uh i I thought really really well i think there are four or five possessions in a row where the tide scored touchdowns or at least scored with the ball. And so taking one away from them, taking a possession away from them uh, and, and uh, getting it back, I think would have would have had a significant impact to uh, sort of the outcome of the game. So matchups and mistakes, those are two, two of uh, my four categories. Three, I'm not a scheme uh, expert. I don't, you know, I pretend to be some days. Uh, I'm not. Uh, I want to get better in that regard. But I think Alabama should have played a lot more dime. I was surprised. Now, it's hard to count DBs on TV versus live, but it looked like Alabama was playing a lot of nickel. A lot of plays with uh, Brian Branch not in the game. And so when you see 14 running around, he's your cue. Hey, we're in, Alabama's in a dime. When you don't see him on the field, then you know it's a nickel, or it's at, at least a nickel. Uh, then you start looking for, for Malachi. And against Florida, we're probably not going to do anything that's not you know at least a nickel. I thought, for my money, no pun intended, uh, Alabama should have played a lot more dime, uh, almost like Mississippi State. <clears throat> Mississippi State, not a threat to run the ball. They're going to pass the ball around the yard. And Florida, very much, you know, very similar. Uh, not much of a threat to run the ball. They're going to throw the ball around the yard. And so if you defend one team that does that one way, why would you not defend other teams that way? And uh, that's not to say that Alabama didn't play some dime. I just thought they could have played more. Having that, I thought, with Florida not able or willing, whichever, running the ball, I thought that gave Alabama almost an unfair advantage, that they could play dime for free, that they could put that sixth defensive back, double-team two guys, almost for free, uh, because you know who needs that extra linebacker against a team that's necessarily not going to run the ball? Uh, we'll take the extra coverage. And so the fact that the the scheme, the plan, and don't get mad at Golding for that. It's an approved plan, okay? We know this. And so I was very, very surprised at, uh, at, at the schematic approach. And again, not an expert, not an X's and O's guy. I just watch enough to sort of get a, get a sense for, hmm, interesting, a passing team, we're not playing dime, almost exclusively. And again, we've seen us do it. We've seen Alabama do it, Mississippi State. And you could reason that they didn't have as good of a, a passing game. And so you would think against a known passing attack, we're going to play dime. Against a known passing attack that's better, why would you not play dime again? Especially when it works so well. Uh, do not have an answer for that question. Uh, also, schematically, and there's some short yardage situations where they were just – I understand we're begging them to run. Hey, but hey, <laughs> let's do that between the 20s. Uh, when we get short yarded situations approaching the goal line and we just let a 240 pound quarterback run, I know he doesn't want to run, but you, you pat him on the shoulder and say, Trask, this is this moment's made for you. Uh, help us win this game here, running the ball. And uh, and, they, and they definitely had some success uh, doing that. Um, and I think Trask, I should have looked at the stats. He had at least one, maybe two rushing touchdowns where he moved the ball rushing the ball. Maybe if he didn't score, he allowed uh, some misdirection and and actually helped their running game. Other players run for scores. And so while we didn't have uh, at the goal line situations, you can still play a dime even at the goal line and have some guys in the box. (laughs) That was was, uh, a little bit frustrating. So scheme would be sort of my third category. And I think you got to look at the the team through all of these lenses, Uh, not just one, that's skewed, but look through all of them uh, combined. In my fourth one, I intentionally put this one fourth. Um, there's still a lot to like on this defense. 
And you give up 46 to Florida, and you feel like there's nothing to like about this defense. This is a baby in bathwater situation. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. It is not heresy to say that there's still a lot to like on this defense. It's not heresy to say that this defense has improved significantly over the course of the season. Maybe we failed this exam, but that doesn't mean there's not talent and capability uh, across this team. How many of us have you know failed an exam where we didn't study? How many of us have failed an exam or underperformed on an exam that we did prepare for and were surprised that we didn't do as well as we thought we were? Now, Dr. James, you probably never experienced this one. I'm talking to the rest of us. Uh, but uh, how many of us have, 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 man, I thought I put in the effort. I thought I was prepared for that exam, for that test, for that quiz, and and I underperformed. Man, I'd like to, <clears throat> I want to go back and do that one again. That's what this team is. That's what this team is. The Ole Miss game, we failed an exam we weren't prepared for. We failed an exam we didn't study for. The Florida game, look, I don't like the outcome, okay? But circumstances are different. This team was more prepared. They just didn't execute. And we've talked about all the we've talked about a, a lot of a lot of different reasons. That's the difference here. Failing an exam you didn't study for versus underperforming on an exam you did prepare for. That's the that's the difference between these two games. And again, I don't think it's heresy to say that. I don't think that's lipstick and a pig. I just think there's there's some reality. I've talked through three other reasons why the score played out. I am saying let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. That's the point I'm making here. There's still a lot to like. Uh, you want to talk improvement on this team. Uh, Will Anderson had uh, five uh, – or Alabama had five sacks on the day. Uh, Will Anderson and Christian Harris both had uh, both had two. Christian Harris was a player that we thought might not play in this game. Uh, we were optimistic, but, uh, you know, he didn't play in the last game due to injury, and and it was, you know, air quote, a game-time decision. Will Anderson is a player who went through at least half the season without a sack, and I think he is the leader for all true freshmen in quarterback hurries, and uh, he's Alabama's leader in, in sacks. And so when he sort of broke through and started having sacks, we wondered, did he crack the seal it was only a couple of weeks ago we asked this question. Did he break the seal? Did he crack the seal? And he has put up uh, multiple uh, multiple sacks. Uh, I would say multiple sack games, multiple, multiple sack games in that inter, inter, intervening time. And so he can t- just – it's so obvious that he's improving. Christian Harris as well. There were seven pass deflections uh, on the day. Job had three. Sertan uh, uh, had two. I still say this is the best corner combo in the country. I still say that, even even after this game. Again, a lot to like on this team. The youth, think about the beginning of the season to now, the improvement that we've seen across the youth on, on this team. And I'm, I'm only going to list out you know four freshmen, but these guys played a lot, and they were four of the 11 together on the field uh, you know, multiple times uh, on Saturday. Malachi Moore, number 13 at the star, uh, Brian Bant, Branch, number fourteen at the uh, at the money, the dimeback position. Will Anderson, thirty-one at the uh, defensive end slash outside linebacker slash designated rusher position, and then Tim Smith, number fifty at the nose. Who I wouldn't have said this early in the year. I wouldn't have believed it early in the year. But Tim Smith has proven that he's better than DJ Dale, and I think we're going to start to see his snaps and reps go up. Uh, I think he is a, a brutal force on the interior uh, of the defensive line. And all of this, all of this play from these guys wasn't true early, earlier in the season. What they're doing at this point in the season, they were not doing earlier in the season. They weren't ready to do it. And think about other players. Uh, Jordan Battle's playing a lot better. Uh, 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 Daniel Wright uh, is playing uh, significantly better. I think Job is playing with a confidence now that he didn't have earlier uh, in the season. And so I think there's a lot to like. Uh, Christopher Allen has really come on. Uh, the second half of the season. We gave him a mini game ball almost as a career achievement a couple of weeks ago because we we, we had not been talking about him. So we had to almost have a feature like, hey, let's remember this dude's playing uh, so well and we haven't had a chance to or taken a chance to, to really talk about it. So there's all I, I, I'm just saying there's a lot to like uh, on this defense. We don't have to like Saturday. 
Uh, but this let's dislike the result, not the individual uh, or individuals or the unit and sort of in this regard. So that's sort of my take on, on defense. Uh, I weaved in a couple of stats, a couple of performance metrics, but uh, I, I think we just need to look at this defense as a, as a mosaic, not a classical piece of art. And damn, it's not an abstract uh, piece of art either. It's still a work in process. I do think that because we have so many youngsters uh, playing on the field, but I think they're playing discount a couple of a couple of games, maybe a couple of plays. Uh, I think we're seeing improvement in this defense is playing well, and we're going to continue to see that as this season continues to unfold. This team, this defense, is capable of supporting our offense to win a title. Don't throw out Alabama's chances. Don't do it. Um, mini game ball. Uh, Tim Smith, we've mentioned him, number 50 defensive line. Uh, I think we're going to see a lot more reps uh, from him. Uh, he did have a fumble recovery. Amazing. He didn't log any tackles or assisted tackles. Uh, I had to go to a couple of, of different resources to see uh, because I just it just seemed unreal for that to be true. And then he was instrumental, I think, in flushing the quarterback that led to the sack that that uh, that ended the game. And so uh, Tim Smith, uh, I give him a lot of credit and mini game ball there. All right, let's see. I had a couple more notes on defense. Not asking you to like the – I wrote these down, so not asking you to like the whole of it, but, but appreciate that there are things to like. Allow for poss- possibility uh, that the talent to play well is there. Uh, we've seen it. We'll see it again. Uh, and then, uh, I, you know, I'd made a note, Notre Dame, looking at you, uh, and I think that's true. Let's talk about uh, special teams and uh, sort of – this has been pent up. Yelling at my TV. Uh, my TV has a complex. What the hell is Jaleel Billingsley doing returning kicks? Do not understand that. And as as if evidence to prove my point, uh, Jaleel is credit. And I'm not mad at Jaleel. Don't hear me say that. But what is he doing returning returning kicks? And the whole sort of concept. I'll give it to you for free on the on the 25. And the the stat packet pack almost incensed someone to return it. Uh, Jaleel. Uh, was credited with 63 yards of um, uh, return yardage. And you think, gosh, 66 yards returns. Man, he must have really been effective. Um, For my money, no. Um, He fell short of the 25 uh, almost every return. I think he had one where he he made it just a little bit further. Um, I get that we want him back there for his hands. I don't get that we have him back there for returns. Uh, If we would have had him fair catch every one of the – uh, every one of the plays that would have made perfect sense. Uh, the fact that he was returning every one uh, of the kicks did not make uh, perfect sense. There reached a point in the game where even Florida was taking fair catches, and uh, and I think they have more sort of dynamic uh, players fielding them. They were even fair catching, and uh, I just don't understand that one. Again, I understand the hands. I do. I mean, we put Slade in a in a punt return uh, position when he could barely hobble. Uh, out there on his leg. So I get the hands, possess the ball. That makes sense. Returning it, nope, don't see it. All right, Charlie Scott, uh, 44-yard punt, was flawless execution on demand. All season long, I've questioned, man, he kicks it short, man, he kicks it short. And I've explained it, that he kicks it up. There's coverage. I get it. Uh, But I've wondered, in a situation where we need to pin the opponent back, do we go to someone else? And and I I in that moment in the game, I questioned, do we bring in P. Ryan for this punt because of the circumstances? We didn't. And I understand that too. You don't want to bring a guy that hasn't punted all season to come in and punt in that situation. I understand it. Um, but he was money. Charles Scott on that punt was money. It was a 44-yarder, tied for his third longest uh, of the season, which is, I guess, a little bit surprising. But situational, it's the situational of that play that put Florida back on their 12 and it gave them an 80 yard 88 yard field that they had to uh, surmount in 16 seconds for for an opportunity to sort of take the lead and, and win the game it was only one play in the game that Alabama or that, that Florida ran with the chance to take the lead and it was that last play and and it was only that last play because, again, they were pinned back with an 88-yard field. They had to take a big chunk. 
not a little chunk, not a 15-yarder, not something over here. They had to take a big chunk, which created the need for a deeper drop. It created the need for longer developing routes, and it, it created the opportunity for Alabama to sack. If And, and all of that builds upon Charlie Scott's punt. Had he shanked it, then Florida could just run a 10-yard out. We can do that in a couple seconds. But they needed not a couple of 10-yard plays. They needed multiple 20- and 30-yard plays because they were 88, 88 yards deep. And so to, to take the deeper drop creates a, a more focused target for the defenders. It creates a longer-developed play. The defensive line, they're not just going to get it out uh, after a couple of beats because the routes haven't developed because you necessarily need the longer routes and really give Charlie Scott a lot of credit uh, for that punt. And again, it was a punt on demand. It was only his second punt of the game and it was in a high uh, uh, critical moment uh, in the game. And so I think he definitely made the sack possible. Uh, he made it possible to get Florida out of the game running only that one play where they had a chance with possession uh, to take the lead in the game. So cannot say enough nice things about Charlie Scott uh, in that moment. Um, Smitty had a single uh, punt return. It was 20 yards. I was hoping he'd have a punt return for a touchdown in this game to really give a Heisman moment, uh, but he's had a couple lately. Uh, but he did have a 20-yard punt return, and it was not – an immaterial kind of setting. It's not sort of as magical as what Charlie did, but uh, uh, his uh, Smitty's 20-yard punt return came on Florida's longest punt of the day, uh, which was a 45-yard punt, and so he consumed almost half of that uh, half of that back. Uh, it's also the field position that punt was fielded at the 10 and returned to the 30, and so it definitely gets you out of the shadow of the end zone. And in that ensuing possession, it was still. Multiple um, multiple minutes, multiple plays, 70 yards, but Alabama scored on that next possession. And so there's a little bit, and this kind of gets lost in, in sort of the, the storyline of it too, uh, but uh, if Alabama had taken the ball at the 10, you call plays differently from the 10 uh, than you would at the 30, uh, at the 15, at the 20, than you do at the 30. So you're definitely outside of the shadow of the end zone. You're approaching the middle of the field. You're going to play calls a little bit differently. And so um, – I, I give uh, Smitty a lot of a, a lot of kudos uh, for his punt, his one punt return, but it, there was a criticalness uh, to it, uh, or at least an impactfulness to it. Uh, Will Reichert continues to to, to be quite impressive, uh, one for one on his field goal, seven of seven of seven for his PATs, and he continues to hit line drives. There's no question when when Tony meets leather, that ball is sailing straight with an emphasis, with an urgency to get through those uprights, and that is something that. Um, you could just run loop the last you know couple of years of kickers, and I think you'd be able to kick pick out uh, Reichert's uh, Reichert's kicks. There's an intentionality. That ball has an intention uh, when it leaves his foot. Uh, not a hope, not a wish, not a we'll see, uh, but an intention that is going through the uprights. And I think that's something that uh, that we've lacked. Um, and then one more sort of shout out on special teams. Gosh, I need to go back and watch the film, but I think it was Josh Joe early ish in the game. Uh, there was an open field tackle. Uh, I want to say it was Josh Job who who made the tackle. And so when you ask why do you put your stars, and even the the TV crew call it out, why do you put your stars on special teams? It's for plays like that. Uh, had that been a freshman linebacker or an inexperienced freshman, redshirt freshman DB, you can't have the same level of certainty that they would have made the play, that they would have made the tackle. Uh, and so Josh Job, that was a nice play. Uh, all right, so when we think about next, uh, what what is next? Uh, the playoffs are next in round one of the playoffs, and they're coming up uh, January 1st. You know, we're going to do a Zoom call that morning for the All-America crowd. Uh, we're going to do an interview with uh, a Notre Dame site, uh, probably release that the week coming up, uh, leading up to the game, and that's going to be available to our All-Conference crew as well as our All-America crew. If you want to participate in these, it's not too late. Uh, we have already released more bonus uh, podcasts this season than we did in the entirety of all last season. We're up near 35, 36 uh, this season, and I think we did 29 all of last season, most of those coming in the offseason. And so uh, if we maintain that that trajectory, there's still a lot of shows, you know, sort of bonus shows that we're going to do. Check the Twitter account. 
check uh, the Alabama Football Podcast Twitter account. There are bonuses. Uh, there are bonus codes or there are codes that we've given that we've tweeted out before that will give you a discount. At least one of them is 50% uh, uh, fifty off joining uh, uh, one of our uh, support team groups. And so if you want to get this stuff, you want to participate in the Zooms, you want to get the, these calls and you want to catch up on sort of all of this other stuff, look through my Twitter feed. There are discount codes uh, available there. So all of that is sort of preamble to what do I think about this game? I'm probably still sorting that, uh, but the reality is I think this Notre Dame team, especially on offense, is better than what we faced in 2011. I do not think this Notre Dame defense is better than what we saw uh, in 2011. I do not believe that. I do not believe that. I don't care what the experts say. If you go back and you look uh, at the 2000 team, the number of players they had on that team to play in the NFL, the number, the the, the ranking, the the players on that roster, it would that was heralded as a defensive matchup that was going to be a defensive slugfest, and it was nothing but. And and it's sort of forgotten to history that that was an outstanding Notre Dame uh, defense that Alabama just pummeled, and so. There's a lot of talk about and Brian Kelly's, you know, playing playing this as well, and of course he's going to. That this Notre Dame team is better than the 2011 Notre Dame team. I'll give it to you on offense. I won't give it to you on defense, and I feel very strongly about that. Uh, matchups. We talked about styles. It cuts both ways. And Florida was a style that we struggled with. Notre Dame, well, they have a style that they're going to struggle with. This, this, you know, the matchups hurt us against Florida. I think it helps us uh, against Notre Dame. Um, People will ask. There will be headlines. There will be Twitters. There will be all sorts of Facebook. There will be memes. There will be everything that asks the question, where was this defense against Florida? Why did this defense not show up against Florida? And the, and the answer is going to be it was there. It was just a tougher matchup. And maybe we clean up some mistakes. Uh, but but that's, that's almost my prediction is that this Alabama team is going to look very good against Notre Dame. The defense is going to look, I think, very good against this Notre Dame team. And it's going to beg the question people will ask, why, why, why? And what we think we've done today is sort of lay out a platter of explanation. And so we'll see how the game unfolds, and we'll revisit and open all feedback on that. I'm going to go a little nostalgia a little bit in terms of uh, sort of a, a game prediction. And uh, over the next couple of weeks, I have the right to sort of reframe uh, my prediction. But as we're sitting here now on the podcast, I'm going to go a little nostalgia on you. And uh, I'm going to predict a 42 to 14 style game. So there we have it. A lot of a lot of content, hopefully a lot of fun. Hopefully you've enjoyed it. Go to iTunes, leave us a comment, uh, leave us a, uh, a, rating, a ranking. That uh, certainly helps us, helps other people find us. Uh, if you want to engage with us directly, um, I can't express how much we love that. That's not just that's not just bluster. If you have any doubt that we enjoy engagement, then drop us an email, alabamafootballpodcast at gmail.com. If you have any doubt, then join one of our Zoom calls because those are phenomenal. Drop us an email. Hit us up on Twitter. We try to respond to every uh, everything. So far, we've got a really good track record of doing that. <laughs> There's more of you than there are of me. but. Um, but uh, give us a shot, and uh, we'll engage with with anyone who uh, is uh, reasonable and uh, and reaching out to us. With that, um, let me transition. Hard transition. Happy holidays, Merry Christmas, whatever you celebrate, celebrate the bottom out of it. Uh, celebrate it very well. Uh, this year has been trying in a lot of different ways, and um, I hope that everyone is able to take some time off work. Enjoy, not that we haven't spent enough time with our family, but enjoy our family sort of in a holiday context. Enjoy some R&R, smoke a cigar, have a drink, whatever it is that you do to sort of unwind and and sort of find your center. Uh, Do it and enjoy it. And uh, we hope that everyone has, uh, again, just a phenomenal holiday season and um, New Year's and our wishes, our well wishes go out to uh, everyone, uh, everyone hearing this. So with that, this has been another edition of the Alabama Football Podcast. Say it with me. Roll Tide. Thanks for listening to the Alabama Football Podcast. We love that you're tuned in and hope that you enjoyed the show. We encourage you to reach out and let us know what you like, where we can improve, 
or just a shout out a roll tide we are where you are itunes facebook twitter email newsletters t-shirts free roster downloads and of course on the web at alabamafootballpodcast.com check us out where you'll find easy links to your favorite way to follow the tide got that coach of course roll tide Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.